0: Hello, and welcome to Higher Voltage, a podcast about higher education that explores what's working, what's not, and what needs to change in higher ed marketing and administration. I'm your host, Kevin Tyler. Welcome back, Higher Voltage. We have been away for a couple of months, but we're excited to be back this time with Jason Boyers from Rosemont College in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. I'm excited to chat with you, sir, about uh, lots of different things, including uh, marketing a religiously affiliated institution, some really compelling data points around your student demographics, uh, and some other projects that you have uh, going on over there at Rosemont. Thank you for joining us. Before we get started, I'd love for you to just give a brief introduction of yourself and give us kind of a high level of Rosemont College, just kind of what you're about.
1: Yes. So I am a first-generation college grad, and I'm, I'm actually proud of that. I, I call myself the accidental president because uh, I have many people who wouldn't have guessed I would have even graduated from college, and I ended up the president of one. And uh, I take the opportunities uh, and privileges that I was afforded to get here uh, and I don't take them for granted because it has transformed my life. Both my wife and I are first generation college grads. And it has given us opportunities in life that that we couldn't have imagined ever having. I've been able to travel, stand on the Great Wall of China, you know, do things I would have never guessed, have a life I would never guess. And I really got into this work because I was committed to changing economic destinies, generationally. And I think college education and a pathway through uh, education beyond high school is the way to do that. Um, I actually, I grew up walking to mass with my grandmother. I was a son of a single mom my first five years. And then, you know, she married, but but we were a working class family. And I remember going to mass with my grandmother and I always wanted to lead a Catholic institution. And, and when Rosemont came up, Uh, I was excited to apply and and get the job. Rosemont's my second presidency and my first religious affiliated presidency. So um, Rosemont's been around for a hundred years now. We're actually celebrating our hundred year birthday. And it started out as an all women's Catholic college. And then it went co-ed in the early 2000s. And now I would say we're we're this wonderful, diverse campus and we're co-ed and we are also close to a majority minority school. And so we have uh, a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different religious affiliations, uh, a lot of different um, socioeconomic um, backgrounds. So uh, it's quite a dynamic institution to be a part of. And we talk about the power of small, where where we really see you as an individual. And I think that's the gift of small colleges.
0: Let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. Higher Voltage is brought to you by Squiz, University websites are filled with great information, but oftentimes a simple internal site search does not give users the information they're looking for. Funnelback, the site search product by Squiz, changes the way people engage with content by revolutionizing search. It delivers relevant and comprehensive search results for users, which is key for business objectives. Visit squiz.net, that's S Q U I Z.net to see how Funnelback by Squiz can create a smarter site search option for your institution's website today. Your demographics are really pretty compelling in that you your student body is just under about 1,000 students. You're about 41% white, 33% black, Hispanic or Latino. Um, You have a very, very um, healthy mix of folks going to Rosemont and uh, from different socioeconomic backgrounds. And so I'm curious around how you start to tell the story of Rosemont College to your prospective students in a way that lifts up all these people, different kinds of people. I love that question, and I appreciate
1: you doing your research on our population because you kind of captured it in numbers, but I think we go beyond the numbers. Being at our 100 years, one of the things I've asked of our community is honor our past in a way that lights up the way forward. And I think you can go back to the very beginning. Rosemont College responded to a call to open Catholic institutions, but not just a Catholic college. It was a Catholic college focused on a pathway for, in 1921, a pathway for women to complete a college education, which was not the common pathway in 1921. So it took a population who maybe were marginalized and gave them a pathway to more fully participate in the destiny of the communities that they belong to, and to create a path that may be different. And I don't know that we've stopped doing that. And we we may have moved on to expand the opportunity for those marginalized voices to find their voice in our society and to bring different voices together. One of the things I think we do really well is we help students find their unique voice, their, their contribution to society. And not let anyone tell them they're less than a full participant in shaping their world. And I, I just I fall in love with that every day in allowing these students to find their voice. In a college education, you get the degree, you get the job. But but the most important thing is you become this whole person who is going to impact their communities. It's not a transaction of just getting a job. That's important. And we want to build the careers. Um, And we were ranked one of the top 10 colleges as far as social mobility of our graduates. And the only college in Philadelphia, college or university, that was ranked in that list by U.S. News and World Report. So so getting that career is important. But more important is becoming a citizen of your community and being a good citizen. And I think today that really speaks to it. And I would say one more thing. The phrase that was used back in 1921 that's still used today and burned in every alum here is meeting the wants of the age. And I think that we still do a very good job of that. And we meet the wants of the age by making sure we don't miss
0: any one person's voice because they have something to contribute. I have so many questions that come out of your very first uh, response that uh, I'd like to follow up on. But the first one is that, like, I I work with a couple of religiously affiliated institutions in my day job. Um, And quite often what we hear from them is that there is this, like, tradition, this history of making important decisions about moving communities forward before it was the cool thing to do. Do you think that uh, Catholic institutions at their core are inherently poised to provide that kind of inclusivity? And If so, do you think that is still uh, at the core of these kinds of institutions?
1: So I'm I'm biased here. I actually am a big fan of Catholic education and a big fan of of how it has unfolded in, in the history. And I'm talking right down to primary school all the way up through colleges. And one of the reasons I'm a big fan of it is Catholic institutions haven't just been dispersed in suburbs. They've been in, in the cities, in, in some of the m- most difficult neighborhoods, providing an education pathway uh, that I think lifts up folks. And I think that's why you see a wide range of faiths who will send their children to Catholic schools, that a Catholic school is not just made up of Catholic children, that others see the value in being rooted in ethics, being rooted in this, I call it, you know, an apparatus of meaning making, right, you're making meaning in in the life you're living in. And, And I think not that other schools don't do that. But I think Catholic schools, that's a central part of what we do so it it really is a definition for us so i find just value in how we do things and i think we are uniquely positioned because again we haven't gone just to the fast growing areas of a, a suburbs you know historically catholic schools have been across different socioeconomic neighborhoods and and i think that that also pushes Our institutions, our schools, our colleges, our our secondary schools, that pushes us to think how we can best meet our mission of transforming these lives and turning them into the leaders that we think are necessary to make society a better place and to follow the values of our faith. Even as we recruit others into our schools to have that experience, they may come from very different faiths, but usually there's common cause. And that common cause really pushes our students forward. And I just got done meeting with a great student, which is one of the reasons I I showed up a few minutes late. He's in college. He's a junior in college. He's coaching youth football. He's been involved at, at his Baptist church for, for his entire life. And he loves his education here because it just fits with how he sees himself as he engages his community and what he's called to do. I think that what are you called to do in life? Not just what your your job is, but what are you called to do? And, and I think that's why we're poised to kind of push the boundaries sometimes
0: uh, before society is ready to do that. Yeah. I'm curious about, how central the Catholicism is to in your marketing messages. Do you say front and center, is it front and center or is it more um, about attracting the kinds of people who share traits with the, the religion, the Catholic religion that do well at a place like Rosemont?
1: So, yes, um, I would say both. <laughs> yeah. I would say, I would say our, we are really good here about putting our mission out there, putting our values out there and, and really talking about our history quite a bit. Of being connected to uh, the Society of the Holy Child Jesus, which is a society of of sisters, and 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 I think that we have been very upfront that that's very central to who we are. If you come on campus, you'll see that. And we have this beautiful chapel, and still hold mass on campus. Not required, but we hold mass on campus, and but. I think also because of the roots of the society it's a very inclusive understanding of our faith if you if you think about the word catholic the word catholic the small c catholic is universal right and so we believe that we share more in common than maybe divides us and I really think that that has been a, a kind of the lens by which we've looked at meeting our mission and and so it's very easy to bring others in we have we have muslim students we have Protestant students, Catholic students, we have atheists um, who come here who see value in this type of education. And so, yes, it's front and central. This is who we are. This is what has transformed us and how we manifest our college and the the uniqueness of our college. But in part of that is seeing the light that God has put in in each individual and realizing that their voice is important because it's a God-given voice and a God-given purpose. I think that drives us. But it also allows others to say, you know, that that's the type of place I want to be at. I want to be at a place that values my voice. I want to be at a place where I can kind of figure things out, figure the type of person I want to be. I started my presidency at the very beginning of COVID. I was actually appointed January 2020. COVID hit March 2020, changed the world. Uh, I started the first year. And, and then we had you know, uh, this large discussion and, and a lot of, um, unrest around, uh, racial injustice and, and how we were going to think about our communities. And I remember going to my first war for- forum. I wasn't even here yet as president, but they were zooming it because COVID was here. And, uh, so I jumped into the zoom and I heard one of the students, uh, here say, and this is when I fell in love with the students here. I heard them say, you know, we really want to get involved in this, this discussion. Because we believe what we've learned at Rosemont would help us raise the level of dialogue. And listening to those students speak, I would like to take most of Congress, make them sit in a classroom and listen to our students because they were talking at a level far beyond the national discourse. And that's what I want to hear. This is going to sound flippant. It is easy to figure out a way to make a living. What's hard is figuring out a way to make a difference. And I believe we create both pathways for students here. They learn how to become a person of value that companies want, but they also learn how to make their communities better. And I think think taking away one without the other, college is too important to be given to someone who doesn't know
0: how to be a good citizen. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned kind of a national discourse. I'm curious about uh, if or how kind of the new perceptions of religion Uh, have impacted the Rosemont brand, if at all, and even, I guess, further, uh, the new kind of brand of politics in America, and if there's been some sort of impact on uh, some of Rosemont's success there?
1: Well, uh, I try to unpack that a little bit. I think that um, I want to make sure I understand uh, what you mean by, by the national discourse around religion
0: So there seems to be a faction of the religious population in America that is pulling some of the thought towards like a kind of a a different kind of space than what religion seems to be founded upon and it should be about. Um, And I'm curious if Rosemont often gets lumped in with some of these kind of different kinds of actors. I think about places like Liberty University, for instance, that, you know, does Rosemont get cast in that same shadow just by virtue of being like part of the same religiously affiliated network?
1: Yeah. So I I think that's a good question. It's not been my experience that we've been cast in that, that group or that, you know, kind of discourse that, that uh, say, um, a very politically involved, you know, movement might be, I think there's a lot of wrestling with why a Catholic college, right. Or why a religious affiliated college versus and and there's some questions, you know, people come at it from very different ways. Some people come at it from, I want my students to go and to learn the values that I think are important. So I'm going I'm to put them in the institution that I think is coming from my perspective. I think people look at it as, is it less than because it's a religious college and not, not a, a secular college? We see different assumptions across the spectrum. What I can say is the biggest question parents have is, how is my son or daughter going to, to be better because they come to your environment, your community? The last couple of years have been hard on everybody. And we talk a lot about it here. I think there's been a navigation towards supporting communities. And I think there is a place where we were able to leverage what makes us very rooted in our, in our Catholic history and our Catholic tradition the parts of that that can create the supporting community that parents say, okay, I want my son or daughter to be a part of something. And that's something that I want them to be a part of. I think one of the toughest things, and I'll just be transparent and and hope this doesn't come back to haunt me, but I'm going to say it anyway. There is a process by which, and we're seeing it most recently in international events, but where there's pressure to make a comment on every single issue in the news, right? and i take that seriously but one of the things that that i think about first and foremost is i want to make statements that's supportive of our student community so if something directly impacts a population within our student community i want to I, I want to to stand up for those students i don't need to be involved in every issue and every national discourse if it impacts our students though i'm going to step forward and and be supportive in in that particular issue and really think about how I can be supportive. And, and you mentioned our kind of our demographics, our makeup. So there, there, there are some issues that are just very important to our students that I believe I've I've got to come out and comment on. And there's some issues that every week I could put out a statement and, and I'm not sure how effective that would be. So my rule has been not if it impacts every issue that would impact a Catholic institution, but Specifically, does a political issue impact a population who are a part of our community? The other thing I will say is, I think our approach to our Catholic tradition is finding common cause and finding areas where we can connect and and not divide. And and I think that has has kept us out of some of the the concerns around religion
0: mixing with politics. Yeah. I think that's a really fair answer. I think that it's really easy to cast a bunch of places in the same light if there isn't um, the investigation and the research done. Um, But I I will share just to be transparent as well, how surprised I was to read about the diversity and belonging report. I was very, very excited about that and the work that you're doing on campus around making sure that not only people are counted, but also heard and understood. And I'm curious about the impetus of that work. You know, we already talked about the demographics. How did you determine that that was, A, the, the thing that you needed to do and make it a priority and then get people's buy-in around campus? And then if you could also kind of describe what you hope to achieve uh, with that work.
1: Yeah, so, so I would say that the first decision I made as president was to create kind of that initiative around diversity and belonging. It, and how I determined that was a necessary issue was 20 years ago, we were predominantly a a white female Catholic college. In over 20 years, and I credit um, one of my predecessors to really being committed to this, we transformed into this very diverse community. But I think where we need to do more work as a community is how we support this very um, diverse community, if that makes sense and so i became committed to figuring out how we could support it we got we have a lot of work to do and COVID hasn't made it easier because it's made it harder to get groups together to create that dialogue but i i was committed that this is a long-term initiative that that needs to have the force of the president's office behind it so that it's not seen as something that is um just one person's job but in fact it's an institutional initiative and Ultimately, I believe it benefits all of our students because we're living in a more connected and more connected world. And so you have to learn how to make connections with people who come from very different backgrounds, very different experiences, who live very different truths, and also have very different needs. And if you're going to be a leader in this global community, then you you need to start now when you're in college, understanding how somebody, you know, is your partner in this community who may come from very different backgrounds. So I was committed that, that we did the right thing by, by becoming a very diverse community. But in fact, we now needed to do the hard work to create the structures that support that community.
0: That's great. Can you share some of the, I guess, insights that you uh, identified from the research that you've done on campus through your, this, the uh, diversity and belonging survey?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I, I would state this. Um, we had a process that we called Real Talk, where we went around and, and had these small groups. And I think uh, that it was a really great decision by our diversity and belonging lead to go around and do that. And we begin collecting themes and information, but I would say we're in the process. We're at the beginning of this, right. And, and trying to unravel the last 20 years of how we can best support. So these are very initial, I would say is insight. So I want to qualify it. What I to get into is I think that there was an idea that from students, staff and faculty, and we talked to everybody from those who worked at, on our grounds and did maintenance for us to those who worked in public safety, to the students, to the faculty, uh, to our business office, there was a general feeling that Rosemont was a place that was welcoming, but that not everyone felt heard or seen. And that's a tough thing for an organization to, to walk through. And our community did it with a tremendous amount of grace. And we put in structures to make sure that we're, we're getting everybody's voice, understanding their perspective, and, and incorporating that into how we implement policies, procedures. One of the things that I wanted us to look at, even as an institution, is I think for, from a diversity standpoint, one of the most important things is making sure that the leaders of the institution, those, say, director and up, that you create that diversity of you know, representation that, that if we have students who come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, et cetera, that there's a representation there among the leadership that are guiding the institution. And um, so we looked at our hiring policies and how we can recruit better and, and look and advertise in places that we could expand our talent pool and and, and create career paths and and create a real sense of a leadership that represents the student body that we serve. And I think there was also discussions about in the class, how can we teach in a way that makes sure we're bringing in all voices? I think even from, a, from the standpoint of how we deal with campus interactions between public safety and our students and hearing both sides and the situations they're put in. And these are not easy discussions, right? Because no one ever wants to feel like they're not making someone feel welcome. But we all have biases. We all have, have things that, that we don't see. And this became a campus-wide conversation to help us really face areas that we could, we could work towards and improve. And we had a great campus full of engaged leaders that, that really talked through that. There was one situation that I can remember where students came together for a uh, kind of a panel And they invited certain members of the leader on this panel. And I'm telling you again, the level of discourse these students have, they are thinkers, which is really great. Sometimes they're even more thinkers than I would say their elders are in how they're looking at the world because they come at it from fresh perspectives with a deeper understanding of how to respect others and and others who are different. I feel just based on how the students have navigated this pandemic and everything else that has happened, I feel more encouraged about our future. I hear a lot of people say they're they're less encouraged about our future. I'm telling you, I think just this next generation is a generation that's going to add to our future and not take away from it.
0: Totally. Totally. I'm so intrigued by this because so often in my work, I, I hear clients of mine, their desire for the institution is to recruit a more diverse class. But the conversation stops at the recruitment and not like how the institution is going to serve and support the the, the more diverse class. And so the excitement I felt about the diversity and belonging report, and I would encourage uh, our listeners to kind of go out and, and take a look at that. We'll have a link on the, on the episode page. Uh, but there is a starting point. You have a list of things that you want to look at moving forward and plan and enact. Um, which to me goes far and a way beyond what I typically see um, at this institutions that are saying we need to uh, recruit a more diverse class. It makes me excited about the trajectory of your institution, because of course you've already uh, realized a lot of success in recruiting diverse audiences, right? I, I don't know how many institutions have 33% uh, black student population. There aren't very many. Um, and so I'm curious how you market and tell the story Around diversity, while being a Catholic institution, there are some barriers. I would imagine you have to break down for some people who are looking at Rosemont for the first time, or you might get questions about, you know, what is it like to be a gay person here, or what is it like to be a black person here, or whatever, like whatever the difference is. How do you navigate those kinds of conversations as an institution? I'm not. I mean, I don't know how often you are having those conversations, but it's. I'm I'm assuming it's part of the Rosemont marketing kind of process.
1: Yeah, I think. We lead first with our values. So a couple of things I want to I want to state: It is important to me that we go beyond just the marketing, right? So we actually had a record class last September, and we're actually trending ahead of that class this
0: September. That is wild. That is wild.
1: Yeah. So first two years, the recruiting has been has has gone the right direction. And and I credited our team. I brought in a really great leader who I've worked with in the past. But one of the first things we did was we evaluated who's the student who we can support their success the best. And we created what I would say is eight avatars. And they're not specifically like one type of student. They're eight eight very diverse student backgrounds, right? Mm -hmm. But we know there was some common traits that we found that regardless of background, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of, of faith, These students had these common things. And then we went out and we recruited to those trades that we felt like really um, make a Rosemont student successful. And, you know, there's a student who was a little underestimated. They don't come maybe necessarily from a lot of affluence. They may be a first-generation college student. They've overcome adversity in some way. We looked at all these traits, and then we said, these are the students we want to, to bring in. The summer I arrived, the class coming in that fall was half of what it was. Basically, we doubled that class the next September. And the way we did it is we went after students that we believed not only would say yes to us, but would be successful. But then we asked the next question. We're bringing in these students. What do we need to think about to make them successful? And to be honest, that's the process we're in right now. And that's a question that never ends. You don't get the final answer to that. It is an ongoing learning of how what we're doing impacts the success of these students and how we can wrestle with it and and how we can make it better. And we assume this would be good, but it wasn't. And how we can change course with that and realizing that it is student centric. I, I want to state this too. and, and, We're not perfect. I believe, you know, we're Catholic. Confession's good for the soul. Um, We haven't (laughs) always been perfect. We won't always be perfect going forward, but I think it's important. There are two types of institutions in my view in higher education, and especially among small colleges. Let's say colleges under 5,000, right? Mm -hmm. So there are two types, and I would call them the museum or the the living organism. And Mm -hmm. a museum is a beautiful campus. Everybody likes going back there, take a little walk. You remember the heydays. It's a place to appreciate. Then there's the living organism. The living organism is constantly evolving. It's constantly adapting. And it realizes that at the center, it's there to to make sure that it serves these students' best interests. Now, I said best interest. Not always what the student wants, because we disappoint students with policies all the time, right? But always... In their best interest, as well as we can make decisions about their best interest, we try to do that in, mm-hmm. our, in our human imperfect ways. And I want us to be a living organism. I don't want us to be a museum to the past. I want us to honor the past and let it light its way towards the future. And I want us to meet the wants of our age. And I think this diversity and belonging conversation and how to support these students. It cannot stop at just, we have a diverse population, we've checked that box, look at us, we're so proud. It's got to be, how are we transforming lives? And in how are we transforming lives, how are we supporting these students through everything they're going in? These students have gone through a pandemic. They've gone through a really a bring to surface racial injustice that has been there for a very long time. We're just bringing it to the surface now and actually having some honest, transparent conversations about it. And now they're going through the biggest conflict um, in Europe that they've seen since the, the 1940s. Imagine what this generation has gone through. I mean, my generation, oh, I look back. I mean, we went through Who Shot JR and Buttonfly Jeans. This <laughs> generation has gone through a tremendous amount that's true. <laughs> of real stuff. And I think we need to respect that. And I think that's the kind of transformational events that institutions need to be a living organism and evolve and adapt and try to wrestle with what's going on with their students.
0: I'm inspired by what you're saying and I'm curious if you have just from a personal perspective if you just just your thoughts about what gets in the way of other institutions thinking the way that you are thinking about what we're talking about. It's hard. Um it's it's
1: it's a hard road to to go down and I want to state this, you know, I I always want to say, um, I talk in the ideal, we we still wrestle with all these issues sure. with resistance to change. I do not want to come across as Rosemont as some bastion on the hill. That's not what I'm saying at all. I, in fact, I'm saying there's great humility in, in going down this road and there's great pressure, right? So you have colleges and universities who are struggling to stay in existence, right? And they're struggling to, to figure out how they can adapt to a model that has changed significantly and and expectations have changed significantly. And now I think in higher ed, there was a lot of students need to come to us and adapt to us. And, and for years that was okay. And now it's not students are Mm -hmm. like, I don't need to come to you. Okay. I'm going to, I'm gonna do my own thing. And so you have to really show your value. And so I think it's, I think that kind of change is hard. I think there are structures in place. I think it's really difficult for a large university and maybe not the model for a large university. I think for small colleges, there's, there's a lot of pressures going on. I deal with them. Other college presidents deal with them. I have a lot of empathy and I think there's a lot of, a lot of hesitancy to admit that there are areas you're falling short, right? Because then I think the perception is you open yourself up to criticism. I haven't found that to be the case. What I found to be the case is if you can show a willingness to to do the community building that is going to best serve your students. I think parents are more willing to trust you with their students. Um, I get all the time, so I had a, a parent call, they were, they were upset about something. And I got on the call, they were talking to, to my assistant and I got on the call. And the first thing they said was, Oh, I didn't actually think I'd talk to you. <laughs> and <laughs> I, think, I think, you know, it's the same thing with the students. Like I said, I just came from a meeting with, there were six or seven students who wanted to talk to me over an issue. And I think that willingness to talk and to say, we're not going to get this perfect. Mm-hmm. So, so I want you to understand why we made decisions. And then, You can think we got it wrong and then we can talk about it. And in some cases you might change my mind. I think having that kind of community doesn't reduce your authority. You don't lose control. You actually create an environment I think that is healthy and allows the development of these students. And again, I always tell the students the same thing. My decision process is what I believe to the best of my ability is in your best interest, not what you want all the time, but in your best interest, but I'm always willing to talk about it. And I think a lot of institutions I, I understand why they're fearful of opening that door, uh, especially around, let's face it, especially around diversity and belonging, because there's a lot of challenges. You can quickly, quickly have a headline or you can quickly be criticized for something. And, but I think you got to take that risk because to serve your mission, you're trying to transform lives. And I honestly still believe that a well-rounded college experience not just in the classroom, but in the classroom and out of the classroom, the social, the spiritual, the academic experience that a student has is the best pathway to a a meaningful life. I believe that it's all part of the process. And I believe we should we should look at access is not the opposite of quality. Access is creating these pathways and then doing the hard work to support these students so that they can have this experience and they can make changes in their lives. I mean, That's right. I'm sorry. I could talk about this forever. Oh, no,
0: I love it. I started smiling because I love what you just said about access not being uh, opposite to quality. I love that because I think that's what a lot of people think, especially as they chase these rankings and whatever else. I wanted to also mention that a couple of years ago, I wrote this very short blog piece about how DI work should be a cabinet level position, and that, and oftentimes in many institutions, usually much larger ones, just based on the structure and the way that the place is built, it's very easy for the leader of an institution to be far removed from some of the really emotional issues that are going on on campus, whether it's with, through with faculty or with students and staff. But the smaller schools that have more of a leader to student connection, you get to understand better what the emotion is about and not respond to it in the typical way that most institutions respond to it, which is by putting together a task force and having a big binder of results that sits on a shelf somewhere and that no one ever opens up again. And so I really appreciate the way that you talk about this in terms of you know, this is a place that we want to um, optimize opportunity no matter where you are from and having those conversations openly. And for the part that you said about like, you have like, yes, we are in a time where it's easy to be criticized, but the criticism is not more important than the action I'm being criticized for, right? So I'm trying to do the right things and we're trying to diversify our campus and yes, mistakes will be made, but there's a way to navigate that that doesn't, reflect as badly on the institution as it can at some other places. And so you having these open conversations and you doing this work around diversity and belonging, even though you're just starting, it's something that's more than a lot of institutions are thinking about and the ways that they're approaching it.
1: And, and I would, I would add something to that because I think sometimes the the president can be the face of something. And I think from a um, a natural Um, how people think of hierarchy. It's important for the president's office to be behind this, but this work is not done by one person or one leader. This is a community work. one of the mistakes I think is made, and and this is just from my perspective. And again, I don't have a corner on the truth is that this, this work gets assigned to one person. Mm -hmm. And I I don't think that's the case. I I think this really has to be in the, the DNA of every of every part of the institution. And it's not one person's work, or why isn't this one person doing this, this, and this? Because it's not one person. We we have a community here. We all are responsible to this. You, you do not create belonging by it being one person. I think that's a lot of pressure on... on, on yeah. <laughs> wall, right. But I do agree. I, I think the cabinet level offers the authority and, and that's why we, we wanted to make ours a cabinet level position. But I think going beyond that, it's not that one person's job. It really is that one, that person, maybe, um, I don't think this is a very good analogy, but almost it's like plate spinning, right? It's that person mm-hmm. to make sure the plates are spinning and that we're making progress and they got to move from one area to the other and keep the momentum going, right? Mm-hmm. So that's fall. but. But it really takes it takes a community effort of, of pulling this forward. And mm-hmm. we've got great student leaders who are involved in this. We have a, a higher education student affairs program in which we fully fund the tuition. So there's no tuition paid by the student, um, but they have to give us 15 to 20 hours of work a week. And this gives us a whole group of students who work in every part of the institution, and many of them are involved in our, our diversity and belonging efforts, and they're great leaders. And quite honestly, they've taught me a lot in just their actions and what they've done more than what they've told me. And this is, again, I'll say it again, this needs to be work approached with great humility. I follow a teacher named Father Richard Rory. He's a Franciscan. Uh, And you should check him out. Um, He's he's a brilliant, I think, spiritual leader. But he says how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I I think diversity and belonging needs to be that kind of thing. It's however you do the one thing is how you
0: do everything. And um, there's power in that statement. I agree. I have two more questions, at least in my head right now. But depending on what you say next, I might have more. (laughs) I want to see about the great resignation. I mean, it's on, everyone's talking about it in higher ed and droves of staff and in some places, faculty for many different reasons are leaving higher ed or leaving their institutions for others. And I'm curious if that phenomena has hit uh, Rosemont. Are you dealing with that now?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. We just looked at at numbers. One of the things we do is, uh, you know, look at yearly numbers and kind of compare apples to apples. How are we doing compared to nationally, and and why? And and we definitely we felt the labor pinch. We felt some people who who just wanted to retire, didn't want to come in, or they didn't want to work on site. COVID just it was they had health issues or whatever. Or they wanted a change in lifestyle. I mean, I think this pandemic has has created a lot of reevaluation. We're back to the point where we're, you know, we have been able to fill, but it took us a minute to do that. And I think like many colleges, they felt that that pinch. I have a different take on the great resignation in that I think that it's a good time for businesses, colleges, all types of industries to figure out what kind of community you're going to build and and you'll attract the people to the community who kind of match what that community needs are. I always say you don't attract what you want, you attract who you are. And so I think the great resignation has been an opportunity to work on how we're going to build culture. And again, I would say we're early in that conversation, but that's our intent. We want people to be happy to come here to see progress and part of the great resignation was people being frustrated, not feeling like they were doing meaningful work and what they were, tra- they were trading whole chunks of their life away um, without feeling like they were making a difference or creating some meaning around it. I think it, it's a challenge to every leader to try to figure out how you can create that meaningful work. The old joke was, you know, can kind of you leave, you know, bad bosses or bad companies? I think you leave companies where you don't feel like the trade-off is worth what you're giving up and so I think the challenge is to create and help our employees understand the difference they're making Mm -hmm. Uh, I've started doing these coffees I do them coffees with each department so I just go and we'll set 45 minutes to an hour and uh, have them just tell me they answer just a couple questions what's really filling your cup and then what what could we do to to help make your job better make you have a better experience and that's been the most helpful thing. I don't know that I've solved anyone's problems, but having that FaceTime, I felt like has made a difference in those relationships and that makes people feel connected. And so the great resignation, we haven't really deviated from the national trends, but what I will say is I think we've taken it as an opportunity to say, how are we creating meaningful roles and meaningful work for our, our community? And we we're continuing to work towards that. We're not there,
0: but I think it's something we're very aware of. And then lastly, uh, what advice do you have for uh, like other religiously affiliated institutions trying to figure out how to navigate this tightening market and, and remain true to who they are?
1: I actually believe um, the best thing to do is is actually run towards who you are. So one of the things I really believe is you can you can come up with a campaign. You can boost numbers for a year by coming up with a very slick marketing campaign or strategy or pay a third party to get you this number of leads. So you can do that once, but you can't repeat it in order to create sustainable colleges and in universities, even faith, et cetera. You've got to be authentic to who you are. And again, you attract who you are, not what you want. If you're authentic to who you are, you're going to find your students. They're out there. It's not even a scarcity thing. They're there. And I think we've shown that here because of the success we've had in enrollment, but you have to be very clear about who you are and, and then go to those you can serve best and not worry about being everything to everybody. I, I think you've got to run towards your identity, be very rooted. I think that for organizations, I think that for our own lives and our own journeys, I think that when things become chaotic, when challenges happen in life, I get very rooted in who do I want to be? And just focus on my own internal work, rather than the stuff outside of me that I can't control. No college can control the marketplace. What you can control is who you are, and and the students you can serve best. And, and then you you reach out to those students. And I think in more cases than not, you'll find growth.
0: And this has been great. I have to. I just have to say that the work that I do um, every day gives me the opportunity to have conversations like this one with colleges and universities all over the country. And what I try to do every day in my work is ask deeper questions about the desires of the institution to see exactly how my work could actually help them. And so when I hear someone say, we want to recruit a more diverse class, we want to you know elevate our place in the rankings, my immediate next question is why? and how you how will the people you invite here be served what will you do with the success that you achieve with this new rankings position it's not about the institution anymore the conversation has to be about the student and what's going to make them successful and thrive in your community and so i think the accountability part of what i do for a living and marketing and branding for higher ed institutions is going to require more substantive conversations around that because I don't really have any interest in helping recruit people to a place that's not going to serve them in the way they need and deserve to be served. And I love talking to people like you who get that and who say, we can do a better job and we need to do the research to do this. What that yields is a fuller and more cohesive student experience and it creates a connection with your institution and they might become donors and they might become faculty members. They might become staff members of yours because you took the time to do the work and have the conversations necessary to create connection among your community. And I want to say thank you for that because as a, as a not very religious person, I wasn't sure how this conversation was going to go, right? Like I just have, you know, I've read about all the things and just read this thing in Vanity Fair about Liberty. And I was like, okay, I'm just trying to prepare for this chat. And uh, I really appreciate how you go about doing the work that you do for as many different kinds of people you do it for.
1: Right. I appreciate that. I really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, I, I just appreciate the opportunity to have it with somebody who's as passionate as I am. So right on. I appreciate that.
0: That's it for this week's episode of higher voltage. We'll be back soon with a new episode. And until then, you can find us on Twitter at volt higher ed, and you can find me Kevin Tyler on Twitter at Kevin C Tyler 2